This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. We've been, once again, going over the teachings of Jesus Christ for the past almost uh, six, seven months now. Uh, And... You have to understand that Jesus' teaching, by and large, was about one specific and one central theme. And that theme is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And when you talk about what that is, I want to make this point clear. And this is something you can write down. This is something that you can memorize. The kingdom of heaven is Christ's likeness universalized. The kingdom of heaven is Christ's likeness universalized. So if you ever had a question regarding what the kingdom of heaven was or the kingdom of God is, look at Christ. Christ is the first fruits of God's kingdom. Christ is the evidence of the kingdom of heaven. When you look at Jesus Christ, you're looking at heaven. And that's how we're going to respond to challenges. As Christ responded, the problem we currently face is we are here on this earth and if you don't know that, what that means is we're not necessarily in the realized or what you call the revelation or the manifestation, whatever word you want to use, of heaven. Heaven is eventually coming down here on earth. And when that time comes, it's called the day of the Lord. And everybody knows the day of the Lord, some people think it's a good thing, it's a bad thing. Jesus tells us to pray that we escape that day, that we don't have to go through that day. It's a day of judgment. If you go back to John the Baptist and the Jewish people at the time of Christ, they believe when the Messiah came, the day of the Lord was then. That's why John the Baptist would say, he's coming with his winnowing fork in his hand. You brood of vipers. He was saying, judgment is now. But we found after the cross of Jesus Christ, we've been in a period of grace. God has given us grace and mercy, particularly to the the Gentiles. He's allowed us the opportunity to enter his kingdom through Jesus Christ, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. But today's lesson, I believe, is about order. And you have to understand that order in itself comes from God. God is orderly. I was in church when I was growing up, and you would hear this term, God does everything decently and, and in order. There's always an order in God. There's a hierarchy. There's a structure. And sometimes we may not like that structure, but that structure is there for our protection. And when you function in God's kingdom, his kingdom functions in a very specific way. So for us as citizens, it's indicative. It's essential for us to respond to God immediately. He requires his citizens to be obedient. 
Jesus said, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? Now, what is the implications there? If you're not do what I say, then I'm not your Lord. So God's citizens are those people who obey the commandments of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's words make a division regarding those people who are on God's side and those people who are against God's side. But if we find ourselves, hopefully, in the kingdom of God, we begin to realize that we can't act like the world. Jesus says leadership in the world is like what? It's like it's lording over somebody. But in the kingdom, leadership is like what? It's service. That's the nature of leadership in God's kingdom because that's the nature of God. If you remember in John, I think, chapter 13, whenever Peter was washing, when Jesus was washing Peter's feet, Peter was like, no, no, Lord, you never wash my feet. But Jesus was showing us something fantastic. The God who has absolute power has a humble heart. The God who has complete power, who is sovereign, is a servant by nature. And that's the opposite of this world. In this world, it says you have to be what? You have to be the smartest, the strongest, the brightest, the whatever the different attributes are that put you at 99.99 in Madden. 99 in Madden, right? 99.99. Some people get that one, right? But nevertheless, even if you're not perfect in God's kingdom, you can still function. Because perfection in God's kingdom is not that you're the best. It's that you're faithful. It's that you're trusting. And anybody could be faithful and trusting. You could have a disability and be trusted and faithful. I always wonder, well, Lord, what about the people that have disability? How can they do great things in your kingdom? And there's no problem with that in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, it doesn't matter your aptitude, but your attitude means everything. If you can surrender to God, he can use you greatly. But you won't surrender to him if you don't trust him. And that's the problem we all have, is it not? Trusting God. But today we're going to jump in. A, a quote I found and I left, oh, no, I, I, I was blowing his name last time. So I'll just say, uh, this dude right here. <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it on the video. But this is, hey, who forget? There you go. There, good job. Noam Chomsky. Is that, is that, is that right, bro? <laughs> yes, that's what I didn't want to do because then I'll get an email. That's not Noam Chomsky bad. Okay, here we go. But I love this quote. It's really profound. Listen to what it says. It says, that is what I have always understood to be the essence of what? Anarchism or anarchy or what Joker, his character, represents in the movie Batman. Joker represents what? He says, I'm an agent of what? Chaos, and that's why, and I'm really jumping in the comic book now, but I got to do it for a second. That's why Batman has so much trouble with the Joker, because Batman represents what? Rationalism. He's rational. Everything in his brain makes sense. There has to be a reason and action behind it. But Joker has no rationalism. Batman can never figure him out. That's why they're kind of like the opposite sides of the same coin now, if you say But he says this, the essence of it is this, the conviction that the burden of proof has to be placed on authority, listen to this, and that it should be dismantled authority if that burden cannot be met. He's talking about anarchy. And what he's saying is, this is the thought of most people. If you can't substantiate, justify, give me clear evidence and understanding of why or regarding why you're doing what you're doing, 
then I don't, I reject that. If you don't have all the answers, you don't feel like you're obligated to obey the authority. And that premise has matriculated throughout our entire culture. You think I'm playing? Look at politics. We, every year, we, if every term we have a new president, you see on one hand, the people are quiet, supportive of the president because that's their president. Next, and the, but the other party's like, this guy, blah, 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 blah. Christians. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about us. And we know biblically that is sinful. We're called by God to pray for authority, even if we disagree with the authority. That's what makes us shine. But because most Christians don't understand that we are under authority, we think we can act like the world. We think we have a right to complain. We, have, we think we have a right to be critical. And you see that attitude and that philosophy permeating everywhere. I, too, was once an athlete a long, long time ago, or even in school. I've had plenty of people I've been under. I remember one time being in a church. I was a youth pastor, and I disagree wholeheartedly with the pastor. And God helped me learn a particular lesson, that one day you're going to be a leader. And if now you proliferate, oh, I'm going to let you try that word. If you, oh, yes, I, I haven't had coffee and I haven't had it in a couple months and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but if you help sanction, authorize, rebellious attitude in this church, there will be a consequence on you. Rebellion, the Bible says, is like the sin of what? Rebellion is like witchcraft. When you rebel against authority, you are on the side of God's enemy. That's why Christians have a challenge when it comes to obeying God. Why? Because we're like, God, things should go the way I want. And if you don't give me the answer, God, I want, I'm going to do it my way. God, I don't like the outcome of the situation, so I'm going to do it my way. How many times have you got a situation when you've been under authority? Your dad, your teacher, your boss, family member. You didn't like the outcome. You don't trust them. So you say, forget this. Pfft, I'm going to do it my way. At that moment, you've crossed the line. You've crossed into anarchy, into rebellion. God punishes rebellion throughout the entire Bible. That's not his way. Remember, you think I'm playing? Remember Jeremiah. Jeremiah was preaching that Israel should surrender and the, the people of Israel, the leaders, like, you're a traitor, treason. Get rid of you, Jeremiah. Don't talk against us. But that was God's sovereign will that Israel go into bondage. And nevertheless, there were people rebelling against God's purpose and plan for Israel. And those people were wiped out. Some people even argue that Judas, the betrayer, who knows? The reason why he was stealing, because he was trying to kickstart Jesus' ministry. I don't know, but he felt like, hey, if I betray him, he'll be forced to get himself out of there. He'll be forced to use magic, miracles, or whatever he thought Jesus was using in order to find freedom. He'll be forced to set up the kingdom now. But then we have the Lamb of God. This is the beautiful part that you have to comprehend. Jesus Christ, who created everything, submitted and surrendered to God's will, even to 
death. He never wavered. He didn't rebel. He was the one person who could tell God what? God, I've done nothing wrong. This is unfair. There's nobody else who can say this is unfair what's happening to me. The Bible says we all deserve hell. We all deserve hell, the Bible said, or the consequences of sin. But because of Jesus Christ's mercy and grace, we don't get what we deserve. But Jesus didn't deserve anything he suffered. But he remained obedient to the cross. He showed us the way. Submission to God is the only way you function in God's kingdom. Are you willing to submit to the king? Now people can always take this and twist it and say, well, if you have a bad leader, listen, just stick with me on this sermon today. We could talk about David and Saul, right? Because how, what, Saul was after David and did David ever attack Saul? No. David took it and ran. David had two opportunities to take Saul's life but did not because he trusted God to eliminate Saul. He said, I will not raise my hand against God's anointed. He would not rebel. And that made him a pretty good leader, except for uh, Bathsheba, you know. I know, I don't like that part of the story either. Let's jump into the scripture. I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Father God, in the brief time I have, I ask you, Lord God, to use me. I pray, Father God, that we as a church, Lord God, could remain in decent, or we can remain decently in order in a way that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 12. Remember, Matthew chapter 12 is pivotal in the Bible, particularly in Matthew itself. If you are in the biblical class that we talked about earlier, it's called a pivot. Matthew chapter 12 represents a literary term called a pivot. There is a complete change from Matthew 12 to the rest of Matthew. Why? Because in Matthew 12, they accuse Jesus of being empowered by Satan. And once they say this, once the Pharisees and Sadducees say this to Christ, what happens? He's like, okay, that's what you, that's what you think? He's like, I will no longer talk to you openly. He began speaking in parables. Now, I don't want to mess with anybody's theology, but we know there are at least three sins, sometimes maybe four, that are not forgivable. Four. Sins that there is no forgiveness for. One is what? Blaspheme the Holy Spirit, right? If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then you, the Bible says you'll never be forgiven in this life or the, or the next. What's, what's the other one, anybody? Taking the mark of the, the beast. You know, if you uh, take the mark of the beast, the Bible says what? I'm not the only person in here who knows about the mark of the beast, right? Do we all? Oh, that's another sermon series coming now. <laughs> but if you take the mark of the beast, you see the people putting microchips in people's hands, right? It's happening all over the world. It's not just me talking today. It's, it's a norm now. This was prophesied thousands of years ago. But if you take the mark of the beast, at that point, there is no salvation for you. It's over. If you reject the gospel, you reject the gospel. I won't talk about four today because I don't want to start a theological argument, but that's the far as I'm going to go. But at least we know there are sins that will not be forgiven. Thank God we haven't committed those sins today. Amen? <laughs> Here we go. So now we know eventually at the end of this chapter, about the middle of it, they're going to reject Jesus. They're going to say Jesus is what? The devil. They're going to say he's inspired by Satan. And Jesus starts, in a sense, preaching to him through parables. So here, Jesus is speaking openly. This is the point I'm trying to make. 
He's not speaking cryptically here. He's speaking in such a way that he understands exactly what he's saying. Understand this. The Pharisees and Sadducees are completely cognizant of what Jesus is saying here. In chapter 11, Jesus comes and basically rebukes them. And then they plot at the end of chapter 11 to, to kill him, to take Jesus out. They send people to him to take him out, religious leaders to trap him. Think about this. These people now are trying to find flaws in his character, flaws in his teaching. That's the spirit they're functioning in. They're critical. They're gossiping. They're backbiting. They're they're trying to find these issues in Jesus so they can say, oh, we can discredit him because he's not really who he says he is. But watch Jesus' response. It says, one, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on what day? The Sabbath. Everybody knows the Sabbath is what? A holy day. The challenge with us Christians, right? We say, hey, we have Sunday. It's the Lord's day. It is the Lord's day. But you, as we say here in this church, have to have at least one day of rest. That's what the Bible encourages us to. It's the fourth commandment of the ten. Number four, keep the Sabbath. And here, the Sabbath became something more and more over time than Jesus or God intended it being. Remember, on the sixth day, he finished his work. On the seventh day, he what? Rested. Sabbath really means what? Rest. God asked us to rest. Now, resting doesn't mean we just sit down and go to sleep or we watch Netflix all day. It's not necessarily saying that. What it is saying is, it's this time should be dedicated on the Lord. You spend it with him. This is his day. He gave you six days to work, work six days, and last day, rest in his presence. So now here, the Sabbath is here, and his disciples were hungry and began to pick or pluck heads of grain to eat. Now understand, if you go back to the book of Leviticus, this was okay to do. You have to understand in God's kingdom, or at least in Israel this particular time, they believe in this type of profit sharing. Because if you were going through somebody's field, you could actually eat their food. And it, you weren't a thief. Actually, if you were harvesting scripturally, you couldn't harvest all, all your food. You had the responsibility of leaving some for the people who were poor. That's how it functioned. That's how we operate in God's kingdom. And here, the disciples are going through the field and they say, hey, I'm hungry. So they start getting food. But now, look what happens. And when the Pharisees saw it, they're like, aha, we got you, Jesus. He says, they said to him, look, look, your disciples are doing what is what? Not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. They're like, we got you, Jesus. We got you doing, we, we got you breaking the law. Now understand that in the Old Testament, we have the Torah, which is the first five books, right? The, the Torah. And then they, they, went into, uh, they went into what we call a, a time where they needed to interpret the Torah, and they created something called the Mishnah. That's commentary on the Torah. And then eventually they went in captivity, and so they needed commentary on the commentary. And they they created something called the Talmud, right? So they have these different interpretations of what the Torah says or what the Bible says. So what's happening here is there is a theological fight about to happen. 
Jesus is about to break down the scripture for them. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, who represent the smartest, brightest people of the day, are like, no, we already have our interpretation of your behavior, and you are sinning. That's what they're saying. Now, no, they're talking to who? They're talking to God. God. They're talking to God, you all. They're telling God what the Bible says. They are arguing with God regarding what the Bible says. Now, this isn't just a phenomenon that's just in the Bible. This happens in our own lives. How many of you people, you heard the term an armchair quarterback? Right? <laughs> the football fans laugh. So on Monday after the, the game's over on Sunday, the, you have the people who are watching the game, and they start criticizing the players for the inability to make the play and win the game. And they're, they're critiquing the professionals. They're like, and the professional like, wait a minute, can you do what I'm doing? And they're like, this, is, this doesn't even make any sense. But I've seen people like this, not even in sports, but they say, man, you'd even tell a doctor how to do surgery. Like, there's people who think they know more than what they really do. There's this attitude that proliferates people like, oh, this is what you should do. And they're criticizing and critiquing Jesus Christ because they're trying to find a hole. They want to justify their behavior, their rebellion. They want to have a reason to say, the reason why I'm stepping outside of your authority is because, you know what? I can do it better. It says here, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read? So Jesus didn't talk about the Talmud, the Mishnah. He's going back to the Torah. And he says, in the Bible, this is what it says. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And he and, and those who were with him. So remember what happened to David. He's running away from who? Saul. Saul is after David. Saul's like, forget it. I got to kill this dude. He's anointed. He's God chosen. And as long as David is alive, then my son Jonathan will never be on the throne. So I'm, I'm going to kill him. And he tried to throw a, what, a spear at him twice. Try to pin him to the wall. So David is running away. And he gets to the house of God. And look what David does. How he entered the house of God and did what? Ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat. This point is important. Because David has entered God's house. And there are people there who can't eat this bread. And those people are called the what? Priest. This is important. I'm going to say I observe repetition of terms or at least a continuity here. Because here, he's in God's house. And David, who is the king, is the anointed one, has no authority to eat this bread. But yet, the priests show mercy and allow him to eat so that he will live. And some people think, well, he, what, what Jesus is saying here is David broke the law. Hold up. L let me jump ahead a little bit to get back to where we are. Biblically, the law is filled up with what? One term, one phrase, love. Love God with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. It sums up the law and the prophets. So when you show love or mercy, don't think you're not being faithful to God's intention. The law is designed, obviously, to show us that we can't love. We don't have the capacity to love the way God wants us to love. That's the point of the law. We need a new heart to love the way God loves. 
I want to love my wife the way Jesus loves the church. I can't do it in my own strength. I don't have it. Preach. I know I'm preaching. Don't look at me that way. I want to love my wife the way Jesus loves the church. But in my own strength, I don't have the capacity to do that. I need God's heart to love my wife that way. We need God's heart to love our brothers and sisters the way God's asking us to. The law showed us we didn't have the capacity. So when we show acts of mercy, we're okay. Because mercy is tantamount to love in God's eyes. Here he goes again. And he ate the showbread, which is the bread which was dedicated to God. It was in front of the God for, for seven days throughout the week. On the Sabbath day, they would actually do a, a lot of work to get new bread ready for, for the next week. And this bread then was, was not no longer used as present. Bread in front of God would be eaten by what we call the priest. Now David, who's on a run, is asking for food. And the priest said, here, have this. And Jesus is saying, it's okay for him to eat it. But he's making a bigger point. Nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. And that's the point. The only people who would eat this bread were priests, not the king, not the anointed king. Listen to this, five. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Do you know that there are laws according to the Mishnah and the Talmud that says, if you happen to fall down as a woman in a wheat field, you can't get up and brush your dress off because you are reaping and winnowing that food. Literally, that's how they have now interpreted it. But there's an issue here because the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to say, look, you are actually weeping because you're, you're, you're plucking the, the, the food, the wheat, and you're winnowing it after you uh, blow it off. And then you're storing it when you put it in your mouth and eating it. That's how the Pharisees and Sadducees are interpreting the law. And Jesus is like, you're missing the point. Not only that, but you have made it impossible for poor people to eat on the Sabbath. There's also a scripture that says, if you happen to tie your shoes on the Sabbath, you're sinning because that's work. Are you following where I'm going with this? There's even a, a point that says, if you spit on the ground and it kicks up dust, you're sinning because you're actually digging the ground. If you get where I'm going with this, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were so out there with their interpretations, which hindered God's people from benefiting from God's original intention. God's original intention was mercy, grace, and love. But now the Pharisees and Sadducees are challenging Jesus, not because he's breaking God's commandments. He's breaking their traditions. Their interpretation of the scripture is different than God's intention. And because of it, the law became something that it was never intended on being. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests of the temple profane the Sabbath, yet are blameless? The priests on Saturday, on the Sabbath, they work twice as much than they do the rest of the week. But they're not sinning. Do you know the penalty in the Old Testament for, not, for working on the Sabbath? Death. Death. 
That was the penalty. Die on the Sabbath because you're working. Jesus performed seven miracles on the Sabbath. And every time he was trying to show the Pharisees and Sadducees their hypocrisy. Every time Jesus was doing good on the Sabbath, the Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to say, look, you're breaking the law. Because they were critical. And they were missing the point on the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath was it was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. This rule wasn't made to put men in bondage, but to give them the opportunity to rest. But man had manipulated the Sabbath and the law. As a result, it became something that resulted in more death. The Sabbath also is a help. Imagine if you're in a culture, remember, they're a theocracy. They only have God's law. When would you tell people to take a break? If you're, if you're an entrepreneur, you start your own farming business. Me and Sean, we're starting our own farming business. We have no rules. We're going to work every day to make that money. We're going to work, Jared, Jared, Monday through Sunday, and then we're going to start Monday because we're going to make the money. But God says, rest. You need it. Without God saying that, they would have worked people to death. The law was meant to help people, to protect people. Now listen to this. In 6, this is one of the main points. Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple here. And this is why Jesus is bad boy. Because look at what he did. If you go back, it says Jesus is talking here about the house of God. That's, I'm going to show you one. Here, he's talking about the temple. Here, he's talking about what? One greater than the temple. What Jesus is trying to say is these guys aren't breaking any laws. He said that the priests work on the Sabbath and are okay. Then my disciples can work on the Sabbath and it's okay. Why? Because the temple was just foreshadowing me. Jesus is trying to say, look, you guys are missing the point. All of that was just foreshadowing me. I'm what it's all about, not the priest. So what they're doing is okay because they're referencing, they're serving me. If the priest can serve the temple on the Sabbath, then my disciples can serve me on the Sabbath. He was clear. He was open. He wasn't cryptic. He's like, I am what this is all about. Silence. Game over. Mic drop. He said, this is what this interpretation means. But the Pharisees and Sadducees at this point were in a debate with Jesus who wrote the law. And they were actually trying to win. He goes here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. And this is where he, he knocks out the part. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So we, here he, he puts the, the point at the end of the sentence. He's like, this is mine. This is about me. Jesus is saying this. I am the one who's in control. I'm the authority. I wrote this. And I'm the son of man. I'm the Lord even over this day. So my interpretation, Jesus is saying, is the right one. The Pharisees couldn't say anything. Because he had it right. 
But because they were in rebellion, they were blinded to the truth that was clear. Obviously, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that created the earth. And on the sixth day, he was the one resting. And on the seventh day, he's the one that instituted the Sabbath. But they're telling the one who created the entire universe how it should be done. And Jesus is like, and you're off. A couple points for us today and we're done. In God's kingdom, one's degree of authority determines one's degree of subordination. This is important to understand in God's kingdom. Because in his kingdom, you have to understand this. The higher up you go, the more responsibilities you have. If, if my son, um, Titus, and I tell him, Titus, come here. Or I just say Maximus because he does this exactly. Maximus, come here. Do you know what he does? He goes opposite direction. Every time, Maximus, come here, boy. Come here. He's going, no, come here. Here, this way. He's gone, right? When he's a little boy, it's okay because he has no responsibility. However, if he's 18, 19, 20 years old, 21, I'm saying, come here, Maximus, and he's running out of the way, I'm, I got to do something. I got to handle something. I got to, because at that time, he has more influence. He has more power. And if he strays with responsibility, then other people stray with him. When he's a little kid, it's just him. Like, everybody look at Maximus. Like, oh, that's Maximus. <laughs> there he goes. I'm not, I mean, I'm not making anything. That's, that's Maximus. But if Maximus is 35 years old, if Maximus is a president of a country, a governor, a teacher, a pastor, any type of leader, and he's rejecting and rebelling. He's not only, in a sense, bringing harm on himself or judgment on himself, he's bringing harm or judgment on those people who are following him away as well. That's why in God's kingdom, the higher you go, the more submissive you need to be. That's why it was important for Jesus to do everything God said. If Jesus went off, this whole thing is blown up. But thankfully, he remained faithful unto the end. And he's our example. That's why we have to rethink what we call success in God's kingdom. Success doesn't always mean, man, we have millions and millions of people coming to Christ daily. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe not. I'm not the one to decide that. But what's clear in the scripture, God cares more about quality than quantity. How do I know that? Because the scripture says... The way to destruction is what? Broad. And why? And he says what? Many will find that. But he says about the other way, what? It's narrow. And he says, few will find that. God cares more about quality, quantity. Next point. Understand that there is a hierarchy in God's kingdom. That's why we hear at this church, we say one thing. Hear from God for yourself. I don't want to hear God for God for you. I want you to hear for God for yourself because you have to stand held accountable to God for regarding what you hear. If you hear from God, you're obligated to do what God says. But if you hear from God and the things don't go the way you want, you're like, oh, that ain't God. You switched it. I mean, you, you got to wrestle with that. That's why the pastor doesn't say, oh, this is God for you because then I'm obligated because <laughs> I'm speaking on behalf of God. That's why I don't try to speak on behalf of God unless I know for sure God is saying it. And 99.9% of the time, God speaks through the Word. So we're here together. We're, journey, we're in the journey together trying to hear 
God's voice and obey God. Because in his kingdom, there is a hierarchy. And our obedience is revealed by our response to his word. Next point. Acknowledge God's authority. and Acknowledge his authority in his kingdom. I'm a guy who had a struggle learning about authority. And I'm not trying to put anybody in a bad situation. I'm trying to say how I learned it. I learned about authority being under a really bad leader. Because I learned not to talk bad about the leader. It's e- isn't it easy to follow a great leader? Isn't it so hard when you have a bad leader? Ooh, you're like, oh, please no. And we'll reject that. I think sometimes that's why probably my wife has a hard time being married to me. Because <laughs> she's like, oh, here we go again. You're such a bad leader, right? And I'm like, we're wrestling, we're fighting, we're trying to argue through that stuff because we always, that's, I'm just being real, right? I'm like, babe, I'm growing, I'm learning. I'm, I'm going to get my John Maxwell book. I'm going to be a better leader tomorrow, right? <laughs> that's the inside joke, but you understand it. But nevertheless, what do you learn when you're following a bad leader is how to be submissive. You learn how God Here's your prayers. God changes the hearts of kings of leaders. Many times people don't pray. Don't you understand that God has the ability to change the heart of your leader? Are we, the Bible tells us to pray for a president, does it not? And many people are just critiquing him. Obviously the president is going to mess up, right? Or the king, regardless of what you like. But the truth is God told us to pray for them because they will struggle, because they will mess up. Power is a hard thing to hold. Everybody wants power, regardless if you say that or not. At least you want to be in control of your life. And when you find you're not in control, that feeling of helplessness turns good men bad, according to Batman. Anybody get that? <laughs> Remember that's why Batman went crazy and had to fight Superman? Because of the fever, Alfred said. That feeling of helplessness that, that turns good men Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> that was a quote. What in the Bible was Batman. But nevertheless, how do you feel when you know you're not in control of your own life? I faced in my past an issue of an addiction in my own past, an issue that I feel like I couldn't control. I was helpless. And I feel like I'm going to die because I literally can't stop this behavior. I'm like, it's over. What happened to me? Maybe I am bad. Maybe I am evil. And what I had to do is learn how to Trust God. Because once I found out I was powerless to stop this behavior, I found out he was powerful enough to help me through it. But it didn't happen overnight. Blessed be the name of the Lord. (laughs) It took years for me to get on the other side of that mountain. You got to learn how to trust God. It takes years sometimes to learn how to trust him the way you need to. He's in control. Next point, why do we need to submit? So that we understand how, to, how order is maintained in God's kingdom. The Bible says that um, when Jesus in chapter 12, a little bit later on, he says after he was called uh, the devil or the devil was working through him, he said, he said, no, he said, if Satan cast out Satan, then the kingdom of hell is divided. A house divided will not stand. But understand Satan hasn't fallen yet. Satan has no division in his kingdom currently. But neither does God. God's kingdom is in harmony. The question is, are you in harmony with God's kingdom? And God's kingdom is harmonized with the will of God. Are you in alignment with God's will? 
Because we say here, the worship, worship is surrendering your will to God's will. And if you reject God's will, then you're moving in another direction. That's what's called rebellion. How could that possibly happen? This is in rebellion. <laughs> That's an analogy. Aha! Here we go. Jesus is my first leader in God's kingdom, but he's not my last. Throughout your life, you always be under somebody. You always will. Whether you like that person or not, particularly in God's kingdom, you will forever be somewhere in the pecking order. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay we don't get what you want when you want it. Who does? It's okay if somebody says no in God's kingdom. You'll be okay. We live in a culture now where people think they should be able to do what they want when they want. Have it my way. Our entire business infrastructure is being completely changed because of millennials. Yes, baby, that's right. You millennials. Oh, sorry. You millennials. Oh, sorry. <laughs> now, millennials are really changing everything. We know it. Because we have to cater to this culture because there's so many of them. And it's okay. There's challenges, though, with that. Because when I grew up and those people before me, we were always taught you have to pay your dues. And paying your dues is a good thing. Why? Because you learn how to make mistakes. When you're under somebody, you make mistakes. The, the, the cushion, the ramification aren't as bad. But when you're out there by yourself on your own, when you become a Pharisee or a Sadducee, you start rejecting God's order, God's structure, you're in trouble. What I'm saying is this. There's safety in God's covering. There's safety in God's protection. I can go over to any parent's house right now who has a little kid. I go over to Jared's house right now. Jared makes sure the door is locked. The alarm system is on. He may have a gun. He may not. I don't know. I'm just trying to say. Who knows? I mean, he's from Wisconsin, right? You could have a gun, right? <laughs> I'm from West Virginia. <laughs> could have a couple. Could not. Who knows? He just don't want to rub up in there. Just what I'm saying. I'm going to the subject right now. But it's his responsibility to protect his family. And his family is protected as long as they stay underneath Jared's covering. Jared is strong enough to protect his family. But if his son runs outside the house, trouble. He has to be able to, to withstand the elements with his own strength, his own power, his own wit and will. He may be able to last a little while, but eventually he'll have to come back home if he's going to survive. This is all Jesus is saying here. He's the ultimate authority. And sometimes his way seems rough. But it's okay. He's just trying to protect you. He loves you enough to say no. You have to trust him enough to say okay. But if you find yourself getting hype, he can't tell me who does he think he is. He's God. What are you talking about, man? He's God. He did this all. He has your best interest in mind. You got to trust him.
This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. I love-